When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to another Headlines episode here on the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, where we're breaking down need-to-know environmental news headlines in 15 minutes or less. Now, before we get started, I must say, I have been feeling all the feels lately. I'm feeling burnt out and dejected and hopeless, especially as I follow these environmental news headlines. And it's just really starting to wear on me. And I believe that if I'm feeling this way and you're a dedicated listener who listens to this show and headlines episodes in particular, you may be very likely feeling similar. And so my Christmas gift, my holiday gift to all of you today is this headlines episode. It has no ads in the middle to interrupt us, and I am bringing you only good news today because I sure as heck need it, and my hope is to bring a smile to your face. So hopefully this episode does this. We're going to start with the big good news out this week, and then I have some interesting stories for you as well. So let's start with the news out of the White House this week. Just announced on Tuesday, the Biden administration announced it will protect the nearly 25 million acres that it manages where towering trees stand. This is the first national plan to protect old growth forests from commercial logging. Now, let's back up. Why is this important? Well, trees are the OG carbon capturer. They are nature's carbon capturing system. Trees remove carbon dioxide from the air and store it within the tree. But when the trees are cut down or otherwise die, all that carbon gets re-released back into the atmosphere. Now, this plan would prohibit the cutting down of old growth trees for economic reasons like logging and As such, it would prevent these carbon-rich forests from being clear-cut in a time in history when we need them most. Now, more than 32 million acres of old-growth forests remain on public lands here in the U.S. That's about 18% of all forested lands. These trees that are protected, now protected, are well over 100 years old. And yes, they store an awful lot of carbon, but they're also an essential habitat for hundreds of species of wildlife. Now, there are some exceptions to the no cutting down rule. Forest treatments that the Forest Service uses to reduce wildfire risks, such as the thinning of understory trees, that would still be allowed in the old growth forests under this new plan. 
And so conservation groups are happy for the most part. They have warned that without old growth protections, climate change and wildfires and logging will diminish our old growth forests until there's very little or nothing left. Now, this plan going into effect, it is, of course, dependent on the assumption that Biden remains president through 2024 and beyond. It's also dependent, of course, on the fact that Biden does not change his mind. So we're moving on to a potential solution to the plastic pollution problem, and it may be microorganisms. There are more than 170 trillion pieces of plastic in the world's oceans at the moment. This amount is doubling every six years. That's according to a study that was released in March. Now, this is only good news headline. So let's pivot and say that Of course, the most obvious way to curb plastic pollution is to stop producing it, but that's, of course, challenging in 2023. At the moment, it's difficult to find plastic substitutes that are cheap and effective. And so one way that perhaps we can tackle the plastic pollution problem could be microscopic bacteria and fungi. These microorganisms are starting to interact with plastic more, and that's simply because there's so much plastic on the planet. Researchers are finding that some microorganisms are starting to evolve and be able to handle the material and perhaps even start to break it down for us. There is a strong incentive for microorganisms to evolve to eat plastics, and that is that plastics, certain plastics may be a food source for them. In 2015, researchers from Stanford found mealworms could live off polystyrene, a.k.a. plastic foam. Soon after that, Japanese scientists documented a bacteria that could eat plastic bottles. And more recently, a team from the University of Texas created an enzyme that can digest polyethylene terephthalate, which is that common plastic resin found in clothes and food containers. And so... Bacteria and fungi capable of breaking down plastics, not going to put all our microplastic woes in that one basket. However, such microorganisms capable of consuming and breaking down plastics, that could be one of many ways in which we could tackle our growing plastic problem. Much of the research into the ability of microorganisms to biodegrade plastics, it does remain at the laboratory stage. But some experts do say that if the approach is scaled up and made to be more efficient, it could have some use in the real world. We're moving on to a new-ish study. It came out last month. It was published in Nature Communications. And this study found exactly how plants communicate with each other when in danger. So we've known for a few decades that plants communicate with each other, and this study found how. How do they do this? Well, injured plants emit certain chemical compounds, which can then infiltrate a healthy plant's inner tissues and activate defenses from within its cell walls. It is really as fascinating as something out of one of the fantasy books that my nine-year-old reads and is completely obsessed with. An enemy begins attacking a tree. The tree fends off the enemy and sends out a warning message to other trees. Nearby trees set up their defenses and the forest is saved. It really is just like that. And so I mentioned that we've known that 
plants talk to each other for a while. We've known since the 80s. Two ecologists placed hundreds of caterpillars and webworms on the branches of very specific trees to observe how the trees would respond. Researchers found that the attacked trees began producing chemicals that made their leaves unappetizing to the insects. But even more interesting was that the healthy trees of the same species located 30 or even 40 meters away and with no root connections, so their roots did not touch the damaged trees, they also put up the same chemical defenses to prepare against an insect invasion. So what's happening here? These trees who were infested with the bugs, they sent chemical signals to one another through the air. This is known today as plant eavesdropping. I did not make that up. Plant eavesdropping. It's a thing. Over the past four decades, scientists have observed this cell-to-cell communication in more than 30 plant species. Now, the fact that plants communicate with each other when in danger, that isn't just a cool fun fact that you can tell your friends and amaze them with. A better understanding of the communication mechanism could allow scientists and farmers to help fortify plants against insect attacks or drought even long before these things happen. The study's lead author said, quote, we can probably hijack this system to inform the entire plant to activate different stress responses against a future threat or environmental threat, such as drought. Our final story today, we're going back to the White House. The Biden administration has placed a big wager on the possibility of climate-friendly flying. Jet travel. Okay. Well, let's all remind ourselves. Airplanes and jet travel, it is a big climate problem. While the aviation industry only accounts for 2% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, it is a stubborn sector. And that's because unlike cars, let's say, jumbo jets cannot run on batteries. So the immense amount of energy jets consume makes electrification possible only for small planes taking small trips. We've covered that on the show before. And so I should say, too, here that that 2% emissions level that the aviation industry is responsible for, those emissions numbers are on the rise as the travel industry recovers from the impact of COVID-19. Well, the Biden administration unveiled a plan to make jet travel more climate-friendly, and to do that, the plan would give subsidies to support the development of Sustainable Aviation Fuels, or SAFs for short. We have discussed SAFs on the show before, but just as a reminder, SAFs, Sustainable Aviation Fuels, are biofuels. They're engineered out of soybeans, corn, animal fat. So let's talk about the tax credits first, and then we'll pivot to the SAFs. The new tax credits, they are created through Biden's signature climate law. They're meant to spur production of jet fuels that create no more than half the emissions of the petroleum-based product. Each gallon of such fuel qualifies for a tax credit of up to $1.75 per gallon. So something there that I want to make you aware of. This is not an emissions-free fuel. 
Now on to the SAFs, the sustainable aviation fuels. Some environmental groups are not thrilled with SAFs, and that's because some studies have found that corn-based ethanol, which of course, by the way, is a major part of SAF, corn-based ethanol exacerbates climate change thanks in part to the fact that it takes an enormous amount of land to produce it. And now, in addition to that, environmental groups are concerned that farmland, which is currently being used to grow our food, could be replaced with crops that are harvested for jet fuel production. So if we have a broccoli farmer, right, and he's growing broccoli for the nation and beyond, but it's cheaper for him, thanks to this subsidy, to get rid of all the broccoli and plant corn, because if he takes his corn and he makes it into an SAF, he can get a dollar seventy-five per gallon in tax credit. What's going to happen to broccoli prices for us at the supermarket? So we don't want to be clearing farmland that's used for food to grow corn, especially to make SAFs. Now, administration officials did say that they are carefully weighing these concerns, and they are in the process of testing the climate friendliness of SAFs. So they're in like a revision phase, and federal agencies do plan to complete their revisions on this plan by March 1st. That's our show today. I will be back next week with one new show. Otherwise, again, thanks to my burnout, I will be spending time quietly with my family, but I will be back next week in which we're discussing the ins and outs of our no spend reset month of January. I'm doing it. I do it every year and I hope you join me. I will be outlining that. I'll probably release that episode on Wednesday or Thursday of next week. So let's get through Christmas and then let's look to the new year. I wish you, if you are celebrating Christmas, I wish you a wonderful, joy-filled, memory-making event with your family. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this show put a smile on your face. Take care.